You're listening to Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Caro-Cook. Today, I'm joined by Jared Fuhr. Jared is the Chief Operating Officer at Movement Forward Incorporated. He is a senior operational professional with a focus on the social sector, building internal infrastructure, finance, and strategy. Jared, welcome. Jared, thank you so much for joining us for Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups interview. I have such respect for the work that you've done in a space that all of a sudden for almost all of America has very suddenly become so incredibly relevant. Did you imagine when you were at Brandeis that you would 20 years later be in the one of the most important issues of definitely this decade? Uh, no, but uh, you know, I thought when I was um, an undergrad that I was going to go into academics and I always had an interest in really what I would consider to be like basic premise of liberty. What is required for somebody to go about their lives and realize their potential as an individual and claim their identity and be who they are. And for my undergraduate tenure, I was really looking into literature and into critical theory. And what was it, like, how do you sort of discern what it, how society impacts the individual, how even an author is able to let his characters live and breathe. And so it was that same interest, but I wasn't convinced or I wasn't yet aware that there was the same opportunity to engage in, I was very sort of academically oriented. And it was only when I went to the ACLU and at the same time that I was at the ACLU, I was getting my master's in English at Georgetown. And so there was kind of two career paths I could go down. And I was all of a sudden exposed to both the NGO world, which I, was, I thought I was doing just while I was getting my master's, or I was going to go down the PhD route and just be an academic. And I, I had to make a choice between which of those two fields I wanted to go in. And I ultimately decided the NGO field would be a more fruitful space for me to engage. But it was a difficult decision at the time. That's a fascinating, like the road less travel, but the road that you decided to go on really built up to where you are today. A lot of young people in our community, college students in the Career Up Now community, are finding themselves more and more drawn to social justice Mm -hmm. during this time period or switching to saying to themselves, I used to think I wanted to be in finance, but now I actually want to make a difference in the world and not through finance. What advice do you have for someone that wants to go on this social justice career path that you have? Well, you know, it's true. When I started in this field, it was nowhere near as big a field as it is now. It's really exploded in terms of its scope and its size and the number of organizations that are around. And I think the lesson that I would share is that, you know, I didn't see this as my career. I was lucky in that I was able to build a career in this field, but it was not what I went into, was my guiding light as an undergraduate. And so I was really able in my undergraduate career to focus on pushing myself as a thinker, pushing myself as an analyst, pushing myself as a writer. And I was able to 
take that skill set and that background that I had developed and then bring it to the social sphere. And I consider it almost a social sphere and broader than social justice, because I think social justice is one type of analysis for and direction about how you want to create change. But I think that the social sphere is broader and it's all types of different tools and analysis that you can bring into creating change. And think, you know, seeing it as broad, focusing on your skill set, and then it's, it's a difficult field to break into in terms of exact career advice, in terms of getting a job. And I think that you want to you go in and you should be relatively agnostic in terms of where you want to get your start. That you might say, like, I'm, I'm absolutely committed to environmental issues. And, but then there's, an or, there's a position open at a civil rights organization. You should take the opportunity that allows you to focus on building your skills. Well, first off, you might be surprised and you might find that the issue area in which you're working actually does become where your passion is and then you stay in that area. Or you might be able to make a shift later on. The same for you might think that you're a researcher, but the position open might be one as a fundraiser. You want to sort of start where you can get some exposure and experience, not trying to say this is the destination. I want to be the head of research at Amnesty International. You know, start where you can get that skill and you might find that there is a better ladder for you that makes more sense, or you might be able to get there on an indirect route. It might be that you're not able to start with a career in the nonprofit field because you just might not get a job or it might not be an opening for you. And in that case, what you want to do is get a job in the for-profit sector that gives you skills that can be transferred into the nonprofit field. And um, you know, it could be you know, skills as a writer, an editor, even in sales, which is related to development, and then do volunteer work that allows you to build your experience with the NGO field while continuing to build your professional skills at the same time. Who are some of the mentors that impacted yours? Um, the first that comes to mind is my academic mentor at Brandeis. She was the one who pushed my thinking and helped me develop my intellectual conception of the world. One of the classes that I took with her was a class that was devoted to issues of survival. How is it that people survive and and handle tough situations? And we read books like Moss and sort of engaged with characters who were struggling. And I think that she helped me to understand the strength that humanity has, its capacity to overcome. She helped me develop my skills as a writer. She helped me develop my skills as a thinker. And she gave me a perspective that I think pushed me towards being an ally of those who are facing tough situations. Another mentor would be my first boss. This was at the ACLU. What he really did is he allowed me, as somebody who was relatively new in my career, he allowed me to um, a fair degree of discretion in terms of building out the ACLU's online advocacy program. And he gave me space. He allowed me to do the work. And he also allowed me to make a mistake or two. And I think that being able to make mistakes is really part of growth. And I think that he gave me that span of control that I think really kind of shaped me and, and helped me become a mentor to others where, you know, I consider my role to be 
as a manager and as a thought partner is providing an opportunity for people to do their best work and that it's not about command and control. And I don't think that that's good management. I think it's really about giving people the opportunity to breathe. And I think that he was somebody who really set me on this course by being that type of manager to me. I'd love to know what one error or mistake or something that looking back made you either reevaluate or pick a different path? A mistake that I made was actually in working for this supervisor, really my first boss at the ACLU. I made a typo, the subject of an email that went out to 150,000 people. It was a very obvious one. Instead of saying drug war, it said Doug war. I went to my boss and I admitted the mistake. He said, that's okay, but it can never happen again. I took from that that I needed to be absolutely a perfectionist in the work that I produce and that I have to read over something three or four times before sending it. I have to think through my words very carefully before saying them. I have to be very considerate and careful that you can make a mistake, but you should not do it twice. And ideally, you don't want to make it ever again. And I think that that helped me to become more detail-oriented in my work. For a mistake that I made, I wasn't called it a mistake, but I would say that for my career, I was an organizer. What I found was that when I really wanted to kind of make an impact, I was not the world's best organizer. There are people who are amazing organizers, people who bring people together and get people engaged. And I wasn't always that person, but what I was really good at was developing processes and really good at numbers and really good at models and organizational development. I made a career adjustment to go into operations, and I even got my MBA trying to get best practices from the business field to really help bring strong operational approaches to organizations. And I think it was a pivot that I made from recognizing that I was not always the best organizer there was, uh, I remember there was a death penalty case that I thought there was no opportunity for us to proceed further. And another colleague of mine said, no, we can, we can go further. And she was right. And I was wrong. You know, she was able to see opportunity where I wasn't. And I think that helped steer me towards, okay, where, you know, is my strength and where can I be best valuable to the organization of which I'm a part? How within your organization or your leadership concept, do you frame the current atmosphere between individuals who deeply care and have for many years cared about the Black community versus those who may be in those areas of virtue signaling and how that also comes into play specifically with career up now in the workplace. You know, when I use the term ally, I use the term in its broadest sense. And I think that the term can be in a very narrow sense about how you should speak or how you should step up and how you should step back. And I think that's all critical, but I think there's a broader definition to me of being an ally. And that is the idea that my liberation is tied up with yours. And I think that understanding that there is humanity that we all share and recognizing the humanity in somebody else and recognizing how that humanity can be impacted and how that humanity can be undone and how we might have our humanity recognized in ways that other people are not. I think that's all part 
of the analysis that you need to do for yourself and your actions. But I think that, and it's something that concerns me a little bit, is I think that it's become very narrow cast for saying and doing always the right things. And I think that that's ultimately not going to heal us. It's not going to ultimately bring us to a place where we have a broad movement where everybody feels empowered and a part of it. And I think that that, that requires recognizing the individual beauty that you have in yourself and that other people have and being able to connect those two points. And I think when you do that, I think you are in the deepest way an ally. One of the struggles I've seen is at times the Jewish community and the Black community have, you know, have not always been aligned as much as they could be. And I think there is work to be done, including really some soul searching among Jewish organizations. More overall, I think there is there is space that should be covered in terms of creating alliance again between Jews and particularly Jews who are white appearing and those who are Black or African descent. I think in order to get there, I think that there really needs to be that soul searching and that constant analysis. You know, because right now everyone's talking about it, but in six months or a year, are people going to be talking about it? And I think the only way to get to a place of true commitment is to really have that self-love and then love for others. What's one value of all the values that you have, but what's one value that you hold incredibly dear that's helped shape and guide your life. This is actually going to come as a little bit of a surprise for somebody who works in social change on a macro scale. But I remember a bit of advice that I got when I was in high school that you might not be able to create mass change as an individual. But what you can do is you can be good, a good person to those around you. That's been one of my guiding philosophies is you know, what does it mean to be a good friend? What does it mean to be a good family member? What does it mean to be a good colleague? And allowing that compass to steer you. And I think if that compass steers you on a micro scale, it will steer you on a macro scale as well. But, you know, it also will give you the, um, the peace that even, you know, as you see all these massive structural challenges and you can feel just totally disempowered in the face of something like that, it's, the ability to also see that you're able to create change and be impactful on a micro scale that I think can give you peace and solace and purpose. I know the work at Movement Forward is going to be of great interest to many of our students and young professionals and individuals listening to this. How do they get in touch with you or with Movement Forward? Well, your, your members um, or whoever is viewing this can always email me. They can find my contact information on our website, movementforward.org. The key is really as much as people can learn about the organization and reach out to me, and if they want to work on bridge building, work on criminal justice, reach out. And there's efforts that we have where we connect houses of worship and civic organizations to police officers to build bridges. And so there's an opportunity for if they're part of an organization or part of a synagogue and they want to be a part of that program, they can reach out and they can, uh, we can help create that connection for them. We're gonna have an event in uh, the fall called Faith and Blue Weekend, 
which is where there's going to be hundreds of events across the country, where houses of worship have an event with local officers as a way of connecting officers to the communities they serve and, and really de-escalating tension so they can be a part of that. They can find out more at faithinblue.org. But beyond that, they should, you know, what I would hope is that they find a cause that's really personal to them and whatever that is and be a part of it. Sign up to their email list, find out volunteer opportunities, also finding out what you can do locally because the national organizations tend to get a lot of the attention, but there's so much great work happening on a local basis. And so finding out what your Takuna Alam committee is working on, just finding something where you can feel engaged and make a difference and that ignites your passion, that would be you know, the best way to get involved. I love that. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today for Socially Distanced Close-Ups and wish you tremendous success in all of your important work. Thank you so much. And I thank you for, for doing what you all are doing.